0: Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is Mike Flanagan. And on this episode of the Inside Bowling Show, we're happy to have one of the top bowlers in the world, EJ Tackett, join us. Today, we cover various topics that EJ is very passionate about. This show, if you found it by now, is broadcast live on Facebook and YouTube, and you should head over to those accounts by searching Inside Bowling to watch the program and check our schedule for future episodes. If you're enjoying our show, do us a favor and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We certainly would appreciate it. And if you really like what we're doing here and would like to support the show, Head over to InsideBowling.com and check out our merch. You can save 15% off site wide with coupon code IBSHOW. Also, elements from today's show were intended for both video and audio. We apologize if at some point in the show you can't follow along. This is a great reminder that all of our shows are archived on our YouTube channel. So here we are, episode 14, with EJ Tackett. happy thursday everybody and i gotta tell you matt it's great to see so many people getting ready for the show ahead of time we got to give a shout out to emily already she's in here every single day before the show starts and she says this is her favorite part of the day and she loves the show and can't can't wait to get to our guest today which is one of the heavy hitters on the PBA tour one of the top three players in my opinion currently today and that's ej tackett matt happy thursday to you man we're getting close to the weekend if we even know what those are anymore
1: yeah, it feels like every day is the weekend nowadays, Mike, but it's good to be back. Another show here. Excited to be here um, and excited to have another great guest on the show today with us.
0: And speaking of guests, you know, I put out this thing last week. I let people know towards the end of a program, and that means there are people watching the show because I've had a couple of people send an email over to media at inside And that's how you can get in touch with the program off air. We do read all the messages. And I've had five guest suggestions thus far sent in already from our fans of the program. So we are taking those into consideration. And I have booked one of those guests for a week from Friday. Matt doesn't even know who it is. But Matt, this gentleman right here, I'm going to tell you something right now. The guy we're going to have on the program a week from tomorrow, he took down Babe Ruth in a Baltimore. Wow. March Madness Contest they just had. And he lost in the quarterfinals in a in a neck and neck controversial situation here. Danny Wiseman's gonna join the program a week from Friday. And that was a suggestion sent in from one of our viewers.
1: That's great. Well, we appreciate everybody sending in their 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 picks, I guess you could say, for who they want to see on the show. And Danny Wiseman, man, another legend. I don't know how we keep doing it, Mike, but we keep getting all these great guests to come on the show. Um, and I'm grateful and excited to Spent some time with Danny Wiseman now next week, too.
0: Yeah, I reached out to Danny last night. He said he'd love to come on the show. Um, He may or may not have said that he watches every show and dedicates his entire day listening to us back. He might have said that. He might not have said that. But we'll just leave that up for the viewer to decide if if maybe I'm telling a little white lie here or if it's really true. And we'll ask Danny about it a week from Friday. Got a great program for everybody today. We've got EJ tacking on today. We did some show prep with him. Last night and today, and we also had him on a little early this morning, asked him a few questions. So we'll get to EJ in just a, just a few moments. You know, I'm feeling pretty good today overall, Matt, and I'm sure you are as well, uh, because uh, we've had people uh, coming over to the website, and they've been purchasing Inside Bowling merch. So we want to thank everybody for that. We mentioned that yesterday, and you're wearing another one yet today. You've yep. got the Club Bowling.
1: Club Bowling. You guys can head on over to and- your, uh, that's,
0: yeah. that's kind of a, a funny shirt. The intent of that shirt was to be funny. And uh, we did a video with Ronnie Russell working with uh, Ebonite International, where uh, he did this uh, one take video at this place called Donaldson Bowl. And there's this thing called Club Bowlers, right? Club Bowlers. It means that, like, you know, they think they're really good. Mm-hmm. Really, they're not, right? You know, Club Bowler. And he said that about Tommy Jones, like, China's coming down in this video. It was pretty funny. So that's how that shirt got. You know, it's kind of an inside joke, but I wanted to explain the shirt, and I think that that fits you to a T because you're nothing but a club bowler, Matt, with your with okay. the bowling pins behind you, <laughs> all your accolades.
1: Damn, he's coming off the top ropes at me early today. It's okay, Mike. It's okay, man. It's all right. I'm gonna fire back. Don't don't you worry, man.
0: Oh, I know, I know. My birthday's in September, and we'll probably still be doing the show, so I can't wait for the birthday show.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's gonna be a blast.
0: Yeah, and Emily's saying she loves the new Bold DMC merch we just came out with today on Inside Bowling. So you can say 15% with coupon code. Uh, you can either use YouTube or you can use our code here, IB Show, uh, IB Show on, on YouTube or on Inside Bowling with YouTube. Dude, I'm screwing this up already. <laughs> Why don't you take over the program? I'm out of here.
1: I don't even I don't even have to say anything. You just do it for me. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. I'm excited to get EJ on the show with us here today. Uh we've got Norman coming in here saying EJ's the best. He was at a tournament in Middletown, Delaware. I have a picture of us together, a real gentleman, a classy guy, and a bowler with few equals. Man, that's that uh, pretty much sums it up right there of EJ Tackett.
0: Yeah, it sure does. So uh why don't you uh why don't you bring him in? We'll bring in our guest today, EJ Tackett. There he is. EJ, how Hi, you doing? guys great, how are you? doing good um we saw you yesterday uh you got a little bit of uh, a spotlight yesterday as you did a a top questions with q a with coley edison from the pba tour and you told the story on there if you haven't seen it go over the pba youtube channel or facebook you can check it out of how you got the nickname of being the squirrel would you explain to everyone on our program how you got the nickname of being the squirrel
2: (laughs) well um Friend of mine, Tony Johnson. Uh, he's from Eastern Ohio. bowls uh, quite a bit on the senior tour. bowls all the regionals in the Central. Um, came up to me one day and said, uh, "What's up, Squirrel?" And I'm like, "Dude, like, what are you talking about?" He goes, "You don't know why I call you the Squirrel." I'm like, "No." He goes, "Because you always got the nut," and that kind of just stuck after that. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I didn't know that until I watched the show.
1: Uh, yeah, funny thing is is uh, Mike was doing the intro for the Bowler X uh, match games, and he sends me, he's like, hey dude, how's this sound? And he sends it, I'm listening, and he's like, and now the squirrel, I have no idea why, but EJ Tech, and I was like, I never knew that his nickname was a squirrel, now that you tell that story, it's freaking hilarious.
2: Yeah, it didn't come about until, I mean, it was after I came on tour and started Bowling Regionals when I met Tony, so it was like 2014 maybe um before that when i was in college playing golf my my uh college uh golf coach he used to call me the wizard because of me getting up and down around the greens and stuff but since i I got a nickname in bowling i figured okay well we were in portland maine when i bowled uh the first pba 300 up there you get a brick and they're like well you have to put a nickname on the brick you can't use your real name so i'm like okay well squirrel it is and now there's squirrels running all over portland maine when we go up there for the pba league (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome
0: it's funny how that how that evolves ej uh obviously you haven't uh, really taken to the lanes uh recently with uh everything we're all dealing with with the pandemic uh but you did take on brad angelo recently because your parents own a bowling center you have access that you can go bowl just right down the street um tell us a little bit about uh, what you did with brad there and, and how did that come out because i didn't get a chance to watch it yet
2: um, well, we're, we've actually done it twice now, and uh, we plan on doing it on, on Mondays at noon. Uh, we're trying to do a different format every single week, and um, we have a GoFundMe started to uh, donate to our local hospitals. Um, Brad's going to donate to the one uh, there in Lockport, and I'm doing one here in Bluffton. Um, but it's fun. We just uh, you know, kind of banner back and forth. Uh, we also use uh, StreamYard like you guys are using and uh going facebook live with it and uh it's turned out well we're we're one and one brad won the first event or the first week and i won the second week uh the first week brad beat me down really bad but we were bowling on a house shot and then the second week we bowled on uh, scorpion this this past week and um i beat him pretty bad this time so i'm uh Anxious to see what happens this, this coming Monday. So, we're planning on doing this at least, uh, probably th- at least three more times, um, maybe more than that. But um, yeah, you guys can check it out, 10 to the Fit Pro Shop at noon on Mondays.
0: And that's virtual bowling where you guys actually take to the lanes and bowl each other. Yep. It's been fun, actually. I wish I could get on that. I, I need to find a bowling center that'll just open this up. This is scratch, note. Mike.
1: They-, they don't give out oh. sticks in this program.
0: I'm out. So you two have a little bit of history from what I understand. I didn't know this, but you guys were on team USA at the same time. What what was that experience like, uh, rooming together and competing uh, for our country together? I didn't know about this.
2: Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to be able to have the opportunity to do something like that with team USA and represent your country and wear the red, white, and blue and get to travel all over the world. Um, the last time I traveled for team USA was, uh, To Hong Kong for World Championships, and that was an amazing experience. Um, But yeah, I think the the last time Matt was on the team was the last time when we roomed together. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um. It was. uh, It was fun. He. uh, I. I showed him my biggest fan. I always travel with a with a fan because I I need like the white noise to help me sleep. So I was like, "Hey, man, you want to see my biggest fan?" Like, pull it out of my bag.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was everywhere. Yeah,
0: that was so, awful. So wait a minute here. So you just said that you need white noise to be able to sleep. But on the show yesterday with Coley, you talked about how you roomed with a guy, uh, Andrew Frawley, I think it was. Was that right? Andrew Graff. Andrew, Andrew Graff. Graff. Okay. That, see, there you go. I was in the neighborhood. I'm having a great show today, I am. Uh, <laughs> so, so you, so you, uh, <laughs> I know Matt liked that one. So, so you room, so you room with him, and he's making all this noise in the middle of the night with the with the video games and the keyboards. But you need white noise. I, I don't get it.
2: Yeah, well, that's two different noises. The clicking <laughs> is not white noise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that fan is probably why that that his uh, rooming with graph is probably the reason why he needs that fan. No,
2: I, actually, the reason why I, I use a fan all the time, I never really used one. Until I got on tour and I started rooming with Ronnie. Ronnie oh, also boy. does the same thing. He tra- he travels with a fan. So, like, we're together so much and rooming so much together throughout the year. Like, I got used to it. And then when I come home and I didn't have one, I'm like, I need a fan. <laughs> uh, so, now, you
0: guys go, – go ahead, Mike. Is go Natalie ahead. cool with the fan? Like, she she good with the fan? Though? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. But at least she, if she isn't, she hasn't told me. <laughs>
1: Now you you said you mentioned that you when you started rooming with Ronnie, that's how you picked it up. You and Ronnie, for everybody that follows you or Ronnie or the PBA, kind of knows that you and Ronnie have this bromance, you know. And you can throw you can throw Marshall in there as well. The three of you kind of have this this bromance where you guys like to go around saying America and like drive your trucks and like and have a good old yeah. big Western time. How did your relationship with Ronnie become so close and so strong?
2: Well, when I uh, when I first came on tour. Um, you know, Ronnie kind of became my, my big brother. Uh, he lives 30 40 minutes from me. You know, we're we're close together, so we could like, you know, hang out um, every now and then. And even um, when Ronnie was younger, uh, in his in his teens in high school, uh, my dad used to bowl a lot of uh, pot games and roullettes in in Marion, where Ronnie lives. And Ronnie's dad was also there bowling. So my dad has known Ronnie for what 25 almost 30 years now um, so it was just kind of uh, I, I didn't really know Ronnie that well until I actually got on tour but we've become really really close friends and um, you know it's been been—it's been pretty good so far and hopefully it's one of those things that a, a friendship that lasts a lifetime.
0: Have you guys been to country concerts together? Have you attended country concerts?
2: Uh, I believe so I don't really remember it but yeah I was there I think. <laughs>
0: You, you you strike me as one of those guys that if you didn't travel so much, you'd have like those country music mega tickets in everybody's hometowns where you go to every country concert at the amphitheater.
2: You know, I probably wouldn't because I don't even like buying tickets to anything. Like, I and I enjoy going to concerts and stuff, but I just don't like paying for it.
0: <laughs> oh, jeez. You're like Barnes. We give Barnes a hard time about being so frugal. You know, yeah,
2: I, I'm, not, I'm not that bad, but I'm, I'm kind of frugal when it comes to that.
0: I think I think, you know, the, the thing that that I take from you just in general, observing you and your career thus far from being a uh, from a promotional standpoint. Right. You've, you've got Belmo. Right. And we were even looking over some stats. It was two thousand and sorry for this. It was two thousand and seventeen. You won the most titles you ever won in a season, which was five. You made 10 championship round appearances, made the most money that you've ever made on tour. But yet you weren't player of the year that year. You were player of the year the year before with with four titles. Right. But but the thing is, is Belmo puts himself out there. He self promotes, also bowls well, does all these things. And then there's E.J. Tackett, who arguably I mean, you're number two right right now behind Belmo. I think it's safe to say that you're the number two bowler in the world over the last three or four years. But you choose not to put yourself out there on social media. You don't make it a priority of yours. You're way more just soft-spoken under the radar. When you're not bowling, you're enjoying your time with your family at home, sticking to yourself, being in the country away from people. Why is that?
2: Um, I, I think all the, the reasons you just mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm more of a, I guess more of a, of a private person. Um, you know, when I come home, I just want to come home and, and be with my family and, and not, feel like I'm obligated to take time away from that to be on social media. Um, social media is a very powerful tool and I understand that but, um, you know, to me, is it really – obviously, yeah, you can make money, You can people will know who you are and all that good stuff but in the long run, is it really worth giving up all of that time taken away from the family and other things that I really enjoy doing um, just to get recognition from people um, and one of the things that that I kind of – I don't know how to say it uh, – disappoints me, I think, about maybe some social media people that are, like, actually really famous is to me it just all seems fake. Um, it doesn't seem real. Like, uh, I saw uh, Jim Carrey posted about someone going up to a, a homeless person and giving them something but recording the whole thing. Like, that's not – humanitarian. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do it without expecting anything in return. And that's what I don't like about a lot of people that do that kind of thing on social media. So it makes me want to withdraw away from it uh, a little bit. I know Natalie wants to do a lot more stuff. And I think in the, in the future, she's going to be taking over a little bit of the social media to get a little bit more content. But that's me personally, like, I think you should do things because you want to, not to get someone to like you for it, if that yeah. makes
0: sense. Very well put. Very well put. I know that your your first love was, was golf, right? We've talked about that before. I've done some PBA interviews with you. Uh, came up on the interview with Coley yesterday about how uh, she even asked you a question about golf because you're a tremendous golfer. You're a great youth golfer. You mentioned there that, you know, Jordan Spieth was a person you competed against um, and realized at that point in time is Dad, I'm just not (laughs) good enough to compete at this at this level over here on the golf scene. I'm going to go. I'm going to go for bowling. I'm going to go all in for bowling. I think I can do something there. But in golf, I see a lot of golfers have the same sort of makeup of your character. They're very much like you. But because of the media in golf. They're covered more. There's more people that are doing things like what we're doing today. You have to say yes and go do these different things. And these endorsements are way different. And I think that if you would have pursued golf or had the same uh, path in golf to have the success that you've had in bowling, maybe we would be seeing more about EJ Tackett because you wouldn't have to do it all on your own. And a lot of bowlers have to do it on their own. And I think you're blessed to have a person like Natalie on your side who can be there to help you. So from a personal fan of yours and a standpoint for all of bowling, I hope that you and Natalie can sit down and figure out how you're going to handle your social media and the promotion of the things that you're doing to make a, a better difference in, in the world as well.
2: Yeah. And I, and I hope that we can, you know, I want to do it in the, in the correct way. And I, I want to do things for the, the right reasons and, and not seem, you know, boastful or, or egotistical when I do things, and that and that's another reason why um, I don't I don't post as much because I, I feel you have to like yourself more than you like other people to to do those sort of things. At least a lot of people do, I, and that's just the way I view it. That's just my personal opinion. Not saying that everyone's a, everyone that has a huge following on social media is a bad person. It's just the perception of I guess social media personalities that just. Turns me off to the to the whole thing.
0: Yeah. So we mentioned, uh, you know, the question about you know uh, Natalie so so good at social media and and is a great partner for you here. Emily says, I got a question for EJ. How did you meet Natalie? And how cool is it that Natalie works on flow bowling and gets to travel with you?
2: Uh, it's it's awesome that that she gets to work on flow bowling and travel with me. She gets to make a little bit of money. We get to be together. We don't have to spend all that time apart. Um, and during the day, like. You know she's doing her work, and especially if there's two squads, um, if I bowl the morning squad per se, she's working during that time. We might have lunch, and then she's working again. I can go hang out with with Ronnie and Marshall and kind of do the thing, and then we meet up for dinner. And you know it's kind of like, you know, we get to be together, but it's not overbearing over time. You know, we're not down each other's throat every second of every day. So it's it's a nice mix of of having separation but still being together. Um, but as far as as Natalie and I meeting. Uh, We were actually on Junior Team USA uh, 2013, um, and that's where we first met. And then it wasn't until – obviously, we had some encounters uh, for a few years, you know, between 2013 and 2016, but it was really like in the summer of 2016 when we really like – we hung out a couple of times, and then we we had a connection, and we just – we. We went with it, and we just uh, hung out for a little bit. She got a she got a a job in Indianapolis at Woodland Bowl, so she moved from uh, O'Fallon to Indianapolis, and um, that allowed us the opportunity to you know go on a couple dates and like hang out and and just and be ourselves. And it's turned into uh, <laughs> a happy marriage, and I can't be any more thankful than I, than I am to have her in my life.
0: I can see that right now on your face, buddy. I can see it. Still smitten, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk. I want to talk about your dad a little bit, right? We we have this iconic moment, and if Matt wants to wants to come back in, and we can we can get this queued up here as I talk through this. Um, you know, your relationship with your father is is incredible. Um, just from talking to you, I believe we've been at a BJ's restaurant in Reno after you after you've won before, and and we spent some time talking about your dad a little bit. But uh, tell us a little bit about this relationship with dad. And then uh, how you guys have just been so close over the years. I I also talked to someone yesterday on the phone uh, that knew that you were coming on the show today. And he remembered trying to sell capital equipment to your father, scoring units. And he said, my boy right now is down at Kegel getting some help um, with his game. And this is when you were very young. Uh so your father has thought the world of you and your abilities. And in this moment here that will queue up here in a minute, we'll we'll play. You hug him and you talk about this a lot, but talk a little bit more about your relationship with your father and why he believes in you so much.
2: Um, you know, it's been one of those things that my dad's been my my only coach that I've and I've had um in bowling my entire life. Obviously, I've I've worked with the, the team USA coaches and they're they're all wonderful. But my my primary is is my dad whenever I'm bowling on tour and, and something's not right. You know, something feels a little bit off. I come home and and I, I say, Dad, well, it's, we got to go do some stuff. And it, it normally happens a couple times a year where something just doesn't feel right. But I'm like, Dad, we got to go work on it. And no matter what my dad's doing, he drops it and says, okay, we're, we're going to go work on it. And, you know, my me and my brother has been my dad's most important thing in his entire life. And everything he does revolves around what, what it's going to do for us. And my dad sacrificed so much in his life to be able to share a moment like that and kind of give back to him um, his dreams, I guess, you know, his dreams was to be uh, great at something, but he was never able to do it and to see me do it and have him there and experience it has been, I mean, it's, it's hard to put into words that feeling of, of after I won and, and being able to, to jump up there and, and hug him. I mean, you saw all the emotion that came out in me. Um, and I still like, I get emotional talking about it every time I do to this day. I mean, it was what, four years ago, almost four years ago now. And it's still, it still makes me emotional talking about it because it was a lifetime of work from my dad and myself that led to that moment. And, um, it's been, it's been a crazy ride and, I hope that uh, there's many more moments like this to come,
0: yeah, and here it is. We're showing it right here where you jump up and hug your dad, and that was all just completely em- em- emotion right there that yeah
2: yeah, and, and you know, I was perfectly fine, but as soon as as soon as I put my arms around my dad, I mean I just I completely lost I started balling. Um, you know I like I said i, I played golf my whole life I've, I watched Tiger, you know got to see him win the ninety seven masters and do the same thing with his dad. Because, you know, they were a team and they, they worked together his entire life. They worked to that moment. And that's, and that's um, what me and my dad did. And it just, uh, man, it's just so hard to put into words the feeling that, that I had that day.
0: Yeah, and that's coming off also. Um, you've, you've, you've struggled in major championships as the top seed uh, in your first couple of telecasts. You were the top seed. Uh, a lot of, pr- a lot of pressure being the top seed in a major. And the question I wanted to ask, I talked to Matt about this before the show was, you know, in, in golf, you being such a big fan of golf and a great golf athlete, you know, they put a, a huge emphasis through all their marketing and everything about how big the majors are. Yeah. And, and I feel like bowling didn't, I mean, it always has, but it seems like recently majors have been a bigger deal. Do you put extra pressure on yourself in major championships?
2: Um, no, I don't think I put extra pressure pressure on myself, but I think I think the focus is heightened uh, during major championships because they are so important. Um, I think at the end of your career, um, even if you win, you know, numerous numerous titles, you're, you, the one stat they're always going to look at is how many major championships did you win. So it's a it's a huge emphasis for me. I don't necessarily put pressure on myself, but I, I like I said, I think I think the focus is just heightened a little bit more and the, the, the thought process and mental aspect of it is just is sharper during during major championships.
0: Yeah, and speaking of major championships, we've got a moment here as well that we wanted to dissect and talk about with you. It's the 2017 PBA Tournament of Champions, and we've got you queued up here in the 10th frame, and if you want to go ahead and just play this yeah, map, we can, can talk through a little play. bit today. Take it out. In this particular moment, I believe it, it's the time that I've seen you get the most frustrated with yourself on television, and yeah. it was in this 10th frame where you needed to go up and you needed a double to force Tommy to to uh, strike, I believe it was. Um, and you throw the first one, great. But tell us what happens here at the sec- on the second one and, and how you were feeling on this telecast.
2: Um the, the the lanes were actually pretty tough. And bowling somebody like Tommy Jones, I I've I've watched Tommy my whole life. He's one of my inspirations of of my rev rate. You know, I watched him growing up when I was early 10. 11 years old, I'm like, oh, I'm going to hook it like Tommy. So, as watching him and, and knowing what he's capable of doing and all this stuff, I know that I have to apply as much pressure as possible. And this shot, like the left lane was hooking more and it was the good lane. And I just, I spun it and missed it in, into the oil. And I just was so upset with myself that I did that, that I, I thought I lost the tournament because there's no way... This is a major champion. There's no way that Tommy Jones is going to screw this up. I mean, he's Tommy Jones. He doesn't do that in these situations. He's going to go up and do exactly what he needs to do to win the tournament. And I was just I was very, very frustrated because I thought, you know, I let another major championship slip through my fingers. Um, I thought if I struck out, I had a good chance at at winning. And at at that moment, I thought I completely
0: lost yeah and a lot of a lot of things that people don't know is behind the scenes bowlers fry out after the show you never get to see it and i feel like at this particular moment everyone got to see what that fry out looks like after someone loses a major championship right here you did it on television but then but then the law of averages plays out in your favor here pal when you when you saw him leave this and we're gonna let everybody watch this I want to know after he leaves this what, what you were thinking in your mind at this point in time.
2: Um, when he left it, I still thought I lost. Because um, I, I thought back, at this moment, I thought back to um, 2000 and uh, was it 2013 in Japan. I made the show and I bowled Tommy. And I opened in the 10th frame, I think. And Tommy gets up and leaves the 210. And he has to make it and get uh nine to tie so he makes the 210 but he gets up and he 2 eight tens on the next shot and i end up winning the match but i honestly thought there's no way he misses it and off his hand i kind of looked around like this and i'm like oh that's left and i when he walked away and i saw the headpin pin scene i'm like oh my god i just won like i i was in so much shock and you can kind of see it on my face like i don't even know what to do like, yeah. what just happened? Tommy Jones just did that?
1: I'm
2: like, what? I just, I was so baffled in that, in that moment.
0: Yeah, and we wanted to bring it up because we know you've talked about it before, but I just, I just can't imagine what that's like because you're right. Tommy Jones is one of the most com- clutch competitors. Like He's known as Mr. Clutch over the years. And for him to do that, have you had a conversation with Tommy since that moment and discussed that show at all?
2: No, we joke about it all the time though. Um, he jokes about the major he gave me and you know all these things and uh, at that time, Ronnie uh, and I had a little a little uh i don't know if you want to call it a bet between us, but um every time well, it was basically for Ronnie because I was bowling good at the time, but every time somebody won a major between the two of us, uh, we were going to buy new Scotty Cameron putters, so it was just Ronnie's way of scamming Scotty Cameron out of me, but that's okay. So it was uh, a month later or so. We're down in Florida. We bowled the uh, – there was a, uh, an extra frame footballing event in, uh, down in Sawgrass, I think. So we go out and play golf, and uh, we have these putters. Me and, me and Ronnie both have the putters because we ordered them right after that on our way to Vegas for the Masters. So we got home, went there, have them. And uh, I went up to Tommy. I said, hey, man, um, I just got to thank you. He goes for what I said for this new putter, and and you know you probably should go check out the one you bought, Ronnie too. <laughs> oh, that's so we off. we we egg each other back and forth quite a bit on that, but it's it's all in fun.
1: Yeah, and and the other your your first major that you won the World Championship that we watched earlier, you beat another good buddy of yours, Smalls. What is it like? You know, and we saw it a couple times on TV this year where Tommy's bowling Barney. You've got Bill bowling Belmo. All these guys that are such good friends bowling each other. What is it like when you're bowling for a major championship against one of your best friends?
2: Um, it's awesome, uh, actually. But the, the world championships against Tom Smallwood. Um, I guess looking back on it, I I wouldn't have wanted to bowl anyone else because Tom Smallwood obviously is one of my best friends, but. He's such, he's such a class act person. Like, he's kind of the definition of it. Um, there was a couple of things that, that I did that I didn't even realize that I did at the end of that TV show. Um, like, Smalls threw a, his second one in the 10th, got six, and still another shot to throw. And I was, you know, off hugging my dad and stuff. And I came back, and I grabbed the trophy. And I kind of, like, stepped in front of him, of him walking back off the approach after finishing. And he just stopped and stepped to the side. And it was something I didn't even realize I did it. I was just so in the moment, like everything else didn't exist. And I didn't even know that I did it until we did a, uh, like one of the player perspective things. And we went back and watched it is when I actually realized that that's what I did. And after I, after I realized it, I texted Tom, I was like, dude, I just watched the show. And I'm like, I didn't even realize that I did that. And I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do anything like that. And he goes, buddy, it's okay. Like, don't even worry about it. Like it doesn't matter. You, you are just living in your moment and, you know, having someone like that, that you can do something that's maybe not as professional as you'd like to do that just someone that just accepts that they were in the moment and didn't even realize what they were doing and still, you know, doesn't worry about it. It's just, it's it's awesome.
1: Yeah. And, um, I know that you uh, you and Smalls have also, although Smalls is, you know, kind of subdued and he's very quiet, he's also had some really funny moments. And there's this story involving Matt Sanders and a credit card. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell that story here for all the people, clean it up, of course, if need be. But uh, this is a hilarious story that I think everybody deserves to hear.
2: Yeah, so um, it was a couple years ago uh, after Matt had won the Plastic Ball Championship that was in Memphis. Um, I think it was the next time we were in Maine, uh, Matt got on the same team as Smalls. I think it was like Smalls, Ronnie, Matt, Loesch, and Watka, or something like that, or Dom could have been. Um, You know, very, very funny, very big drinking team. So they're at a bar in in Portland, and um, Smalls says, hey, Matt, it's your turn to buy a round. Matt says, okay, um, but I'm not going to go get it. So he hands Smalls his credit card. Smalls, okay. And like... This, this kind of stuff is like why I love Tom Smallwood so much because he does this stuff like quite often. Um, so he goes to the bar and he orders a round and he, and he asks the bartender for a pair of scissors. He's like, you got a pair of scissors? He goes, yeah. So Smalls ended up even paying for the round. He didn't even charge Matt for the round. He comes back, brings the beers back, takes the two pieces of his credit card, throws it at him and said, don't you ever big time me again.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: oh man And, and tom has done a few things like that and um oh man he's he's got some really really good moments
0: we've had several comments coming in about what a class act you are ej uh from this interview here today and uh gray from the ring 10 says uh there we go One of the most, uh, one of the biggest moments for me that stands out regarding EJ's character was when he told Belmo he's one of the best ever following, uh, Belmo's 10th major, such a class act. Uh, do you remember that moment?
2: Yeah. Yeah. At the, uh, at the tournament champions, that was, um, I was, that was really cool. Something. It was cool to be a part of actually. Um, or what? Yeah. Was that his 10th or
0: 11th? Oh, it might've been the 11th. Yeah.
2: I think it could have been the tying one. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, that was it. Was it was cool, man? It really was. Um, do, you,
0: do you wish that you would have been born in a different era when Belmo wasn't around, uh, and been cap capturing the amount of uh, titles and and how well you've bowled? Do you think a tour would be easier for you with no Belmo? No.
2: No, no I, I I love the era that I'm in, because I know exactly where I stand in in history right now. So. That's just kind of the way I look at it. And they've asked me, you know, who do you hate bowling on TV the most? And my answer is, is Belmo. It's because I hate bowling him and I love bowling him. I love bowling him because I know if I beat him, I know I I beat the best in the world. If I lose, well, I lost to the best in the world. You know, that's why I had to love, hate bowling him on TV because you know what you're going to get every single time. And you know if you come through, it's it's that, that much more rewarding. You know, it's kind of like, Anyone beating Tiger between 2000 and 2007, you know, it's kind of the same thing that um, it's very, very rewarding when you do.
0: I've got some stats here. I want to go over with you. Um, You're 27 years old, or at least we think you're 27 years old. (laughs) As as we asked you before the show and you said, yeah, I think I am. So you're 27 years old. Let's just say you're 27. You've won 13 times Mm -hmm. on the PBA tour. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. Do you ever sit there and think about that you've won 13 times?
2: I do. I do actually. Yeah, I sit back sometimes and it just kind of hits you. You're like, wow, I've like won all these titles. Like you're having Danny Wiseman on next week. I think we both have 13. And I'm I remember watching him uh growing up on TV and and winning. And I'm like, oh that guy's pretty good. And now I'm tied with him. Okay. <laughs>
0: That's pretty incredible. And you're for you're how far from Indy are you?
2: Uh I live about an hour and a half from Woodland.
0: Okay. So you know another famous bowler, um, what the last name of Weber was was from Indianapolis originally, even though he relocated to St. Louis, Dick Weber, right? Yep. So so I was talking to Steve Orf last week about this, just to put some things in perspective. And he brought up your name with me on the phone. Dick Weber was one of the founding fathers of the PBA Tour, right? 1959 was the inaugural season. And according to Wikipedia here, uh, going over some of these stats, he won three of the first four tournaments at age 31. And Dick didn't start until he was 31 and won 30 titles. 30 titles. Okay? Could you imagine that you aren't going to start your professional bowling career for four years from right now and have those 13 titles stripped away Plus, whatever you may win between now and then, don't want to take anything for granted because your next title is always the hardest. Mm-hmm. But it just puts things in perspective, being another guy from the same area that you're from. What do you think about Dick Weber's accomplishments of being able to win 30 titles from age 31 on?
2: I mean, it's, it's really, really impressive. But, um, you know, most, especially in, in bowling and, and golf, um, you see it a lot is like the, the, the prime age where you – you you're still physically really good. You're agile, um, but your brain gets a little bit smarter and gets a little bit better as you get a little bit older. And you see the the guys in, in golf and bowling between the ages of 30 and 40 is like their prime. You know, in their 20s they have kind of the ups and downs, but you see in the 30s and 40s you kind of see more of this. You know, and then at the end it starts to tail off. But I think during that time it is your prime. Your prime age, so him winning that many times, yeah, that's a lot um, after thirty-one years old. But does it surprise me? No, not really. It, it really doesn't.
0: So let's let's say you win at this pace you know, over the next four years. Let's say you win five titles. Let's just throw that out there, right? Just based off of of, of uh, history, if that continues, so you would have you would have five more titles. You'd have eighteen titles, okay. If you went on to have the same career as Dick Weber from 31 on, right, you would have 30 more titles. You would retire with 48 titles. Do you think you can get there?
2: Well, if I didn't think I would get there, I'd never get there. And that's the way I look at it. Um, I, I get asked that question a lot. Um, do I think I can get to 48? Absolutely. Only only the time of a career and in 20 more years of, of bowling will tell if I can or not. But I believe in myself that, that I can do it.
0: Do you feel proud of your rev rate being a single-handed, right-handed bowler with all of the two-handers that are on tour and so many two-handers now that are creating the rev rate that they are? Do you consider yourself one of the last chosen ones of high rev rates, throwing it with just one hand and you're going to become extinct? Mm,
2: no, I don't. I, I think there's going to be um, a, a good mix of, of – There's going to be more two handers in the future, obviously, but I think there's enough people out there that are kind of like I guess haters uh, of two handed bowling that just refuse to do it and they're going to do it one handed. So whether or not that one handed goes away or is gets left behind, we don't know. I don't believe it will. Um, I think I think there's going to be a good mix of of both throughout the future. Um, Am I proud of it? to me, it's, it's irrelevant whether you throw it with one hand or two hands. Um, cause at the end of your career, does it really matter? You know, um, I look at how many times did you win? How consistent were you? Um, that, that sort of thing. So whether you have a high rev rate, no rev rate, one hand, two hands, no hands, it's, it's all kind of irrelevant to me.
0: I want to bring Matt back in. Matt and I were having a conversation about your last couple of years of your career and we were, uh, we listened to your Q&A again with, with Coley yesterday, and you talked about how 2019 was a great season for you. Like, it was really an incredible season, but you only won one title. One thing that we were thinking about is trying to, trying to figure some of that stuff out, and we're, and we're going to get the answer from you, obviously, because you're on our show. But we started thinking about, you know, Fox. Fox was a change in 2019, and your winning percentage went down, even though you had nine championship round appearances. Did that have anything to do with your performances on television?
2: No, actually in 2019 was probably an overall, probably the best I've ever bowled on TV as a, as a whole. Um, I just got beat and, and that's just the way it is. Uh, I bowled several times. I bowled 230, 240s and, and and lost. So it wasn't like I was bowling bad or performing bad. It was just, I was just getting beat. And there's nothing you can do about that. You can go out there and do the best you can. And I feel that I did. And it just wasn't enough on those particular days. And the way I look at it, is if I keep doing that, keep performing on that level over time, the curve is going to come back in in my favor. So I just got to keep keep my head down, keep grinding away, keep doing the same things, and uh, keep getting on TV and and performing well, and and eventually I think the the tides will turn and and come back in my favor, and then I'll go on a streak of of you know still bowling two twenties, two thirties, two forties, and and winning most of them.
0: Yeah, we thought maybe because they were putting Specto on the screen and they were analyzing every single one of your shots that all of you pro bowlers were, like, squeezing a little bit more. But then somebody figured something out this year because then it took, like, two 290 to win.
2: <laughs> I know. It was crazy. When I made the show at the at the players, I'm like, oh, you know, what's going to happen this week? Am I going to have to bowl 300 to win this or what? And then I lose by one pin bill. <laughs> And we brought the average way down of winning score.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you both bowled like two thirty on that show, right? In the title match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. way
2: down, way down.
0: Um, there's this PBA league draft coming up. Are you aware of that coming up?
2: Yeah, yeah, May seventeenth, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's what we have on our calendar. Yeah, even though all the days run together. Yeah. <laughs> did you Did you by chance happen to see that I was part of a mock draft? I know you stay off social media, but oh, did you boy. Did you see this?
2: No, I did not see it.
0: Yeah, so Beef and Barnsey have a show. In case you haven't heard, they have a a little show online as well, and uh, they did this mock draft, and uh, I I got to draft two teams, Barney's team, you know, the last couple picks because it's pretty much all kind of decided with the first three picks, you know. But then I also got to draft this Milwaukee team, Mm -hmm. and from scratch, and and I decided as Marshall Holman, you know, because that's who is the, the the team manager. I took in the first round and you're going to we're going to get EJ's live reaction here Matt this is great. So in the first round I had the very first pick. Who do you think I, I took?
2: Well, I don't even know uh who's available. I don't know which people got kept on all the teams. I'd have to see the I'd have to see the
0: list. on okay. so the spot. So Sean Rash was available in the pool and that was kind of the that was kind of kind of the layup, right? Mm. I took Ryan Seminelli. Mm. Okay. And then with my second pick coming back through I took Packy Hanrahan.
2: Okay, I see the trend already.
0: And then, my, <laughs> and then my third pick coming back through, I took Matt McNeil. Yeah. And then I took Matt Sanders. Mm-hmm. And then with my fifth pick, which was my most scrutinized pick that I made, I took an up and comer guy. I took Michael Martel. Mm. So I took, all, I took five lefties. Mm-hmm. So we've been asking some people to get their opinions because Marshall Holman's going to be on on Monday. And I'm going to try to convince him to pick all lefties for his team. Do you think that strategy would work or is completely ridiculous? No chance. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Well, shut down, AJ. Shut him down. Why, AJ, why, shut won't him down.
2: why won't it work?
0: Yeah, why wouldn't it work?
2: Because lefties can't follow lefties, they all complain about each other. Especially the ones that throw your thing. And and I know Michael Martel is one of those that likes to throw your thing a lot. And Ryan Simonelli's not gonna like that.
1: Man, I love I love these moments where Mike has nothing to say, where he's just he's just uh, he just he just has no idea.
0: Okay, EJ. If you had to if you if you became if you let's say you're Marshall Holman and and somebody said to you, Hey, we're gonna give you a million dollars, you can pick all lefties. What five lefties would you put on that team that you think would work best together?
2: Um, well, I think the first pick would be Rhino. Um, I mean, I know he's not bowling as much now, but I mean he's still relevant. He could he could still bowl. Um I, I think I still I think I would pick Ryan Simonelli. Uh he was uh, I think he was MVP the one year, right? Yeah the year that they won. So yeah, he's a good pick for there. Um I want I mean I it's hard not to pick Butters. Um I think of who else.
1: And contrary to what a lot of people think, Butters is pretty good at throwing resin as well.
2: Yeah, he so he, can, he definitely can. I mean, he he did it at uh where did you do it at? He did it somewhere and he ended up winning. Uh,
1: I think it was Oklahoma. It was yeah. a dual pattern in one of the lanes. He was like hooking a spoiler from like yeah, fourth yeah, arrow. Yeah. Um
2: hmm Man, it's tough. I think uh, possibly in the situation. Um, I mean, I still might pick Parker, too. I mean, he's a good shot maker and a good spare shooter, so at leaves one more person. Man, this is tough.
0: Yeah. And just to just to let you know while you're thinking on that last person, you know, I, I don't disagree with your thinking here, but my draft pool wouldn't have been able to shake out quite like that. But I didn't I didn't position the question to you that way. Parker's not in the top 75 in points. I couldn't believe it. because Parker would have been on that team. Right. Over like Michael Martel or probably Matt Sanders, too. I mean, Matt's one of our brothers from another mother, but we, <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, there's just no doubt he's going to be on that team. And it's a shame that Parker on the third can't be part of the league because he's not in top 75 in points. And I hope Parker figure something out soon because um, I know he's contemplating a flow bowling article came out that he's contemplating hanging him up or taking a part time um, time on tour. And that would be a shame because, I mean, people come to see Parker and everything that he's done for the sport. We, we just got to get him figured out. Maybe we can send him to Kegel or something or. I mean, you know what? I'm writing him. Down. I I'm get Parker on this show and Chris Chartrand at the same time. We're going to we're going to make this happen. Because I'm sure Parker doesn't have you know plenty of access to coaches at all, you know, or <laughs> one himself even. Yeah, his son actually wrote oh, me and he wants to be on our program. I forgot to tell you that, Matt.
1: Oh, hmm. sure. We should have we should have a little a uh, bone bone family show. We I'd like to have all.
0: all. I'd like to have all kids of uh, pro bowlers. We could have uh, Andy Nyer's son. Uh, yeah,
1: Anthony's great bowler.
0: Doug Kent's son.
1: Yeah, Jake. That'd be fun.
0: And uh Parker's son or something like that.
2: Yeah, we should do that.
0: And we'll let awesome. EJ host the show and we'll take the day off.
2: Uh, I, yeah. I do have my last uh my last my last lefty. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I feel really stupid for not picking this one earlier. How do you not pick a Jesper? Oh yeah.
1: Right. yeah. Well it's because he uses two hands, you don't really yeah, think
2: uh, and, and, him and Kyle won the doubles there. Yeah. I mean Yeah, that's a pretty –
1: that's obviously – I remember
2: that one a lot since I lost.
0: Oh, boy. One other topic I want to get to with you, EJ, before we let you go, and we appreciate you coming on the show, of course, but let's talk about your brother a little bit, your brother Zach, right? Um, We talked a little bit about before the show again on this one. You know, your brother is a very good bowler as well. Um, When you were 16 and he was 12, you both bowled 300 in the same game in a youth tournament. Could you Mm -hmm. tell the folks that one a little bit?
2: Yeah, it was uh, 2000, 2009 youth state tournament in uh, in actually in Matt Sanders uh, stomping grounds in in, in Evansville. Uh, we're bowling the doubles and singles part of the of, of the event, and we get down to the last game of I don't remember if it was doubles or singles. Um, me and my brother are bowling. They, there was three people on each side, and uh, my brother was first and I was second, so we're bowling back to back. And my brother, twelve years old, bowls three hundred game. I have the front nine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, what is going on? I'm so nervous. I'd only bowled a couple of 300s, maybe four or five at that point. And I'm like, oh, we can actually do something here. Like, this is pretty cool. Like, brothers bowling back and back 300s. I was really nervous. So I get up there, throw all three in the 10th. After the second one, I realized that I could bowl 800 because I bowled 247, 258 or whatever. I had 505 going last game. So I'm like, I need five to bowl 800. I'd never bowled 800 before in sanctioned competition. And I'm like, oh, crap. So now I'm thinking about I, I can bowl 800. I only need five. go so the strike for us to bowl the 300s, and I was, I was a nervous wreck. And luckily I struck. And uh, it, was, it was awesome. I think we ended up having an article in like the Brolls journal or something. And it was it was really cool.
0: Yeah, I know you're close to your brother. And this year, I actually saw your brother at South Point. Um, the week before the World Series of Bowling, I believe he made the match play in a major, didn't he?
2: Because
0: uh... I know you guys had to bowl each other, from what I understand, from what I remember. He had a really good uh... this year.
2: I don't think so. No, he hasn't made match play at a major yet.
0: He made match play at one of the tournaments this year. But I, I know he bowled really well at one tournament this year because I saw him and we had a conversation about it.
2: But yeah, I-, I mean, he's been, he's been bowling really good. It's just he, he gets really close and then um, has a hard time finishing it. I think he wants, once he learns and does it once or twice to finish, I think the floodgates might open a little bit and we, we'll start seeing him more and more.
0: So, yeah, the question I'm trying to get myself to here today is, do you think your brother uh, will ever win on tour?
2: Um, I don't know. I, th- I think he has a physical ability. I, I I think the thing that holds him back a little bit is the mental capacity to stay in the moment um, instead of looking ahead of of what's going on. And I know it's something that I, I kind of struggled with when I, when I first came on tour. Um, but I had a lot of success early and I didn't have to go through all the trials and tribula- tribulations that that he's going through. Um but it's, it's – I wouldn't say that he can't. I think that he physically can. I think someday when he figures out how to mentally get through a tournament, I think his chances will greatly increase at having the opportunity to win.
0: How often do you and him work together on each other's games or do you give him advice or, or him advice to you?
2: Um, it's more advice from me to him because um, I'm just trying to help him – with the knowledge that I have that I've gained on uh, being on tour, I try to give as much of it as I can to him. And I, I just try to get him to, you know, kind of use it and, and make it his own. Um, and uh, whatever works for him. And I see that Larry, we made the match play in the doubles. And that was, that was it. I, I forgot about that. Beat him. <laughs>
0: We have great bowling purist fans here that help us out and bail us out. Yeah, yeah and I have
2: a very, very short memory.
0: <laughs> yeah, so um your brother also um, had, a, had a scare a couple years ago. And uh, I only mention it not because I want to bring attention to that in particular, but I couldn't believe – I mean, I do believe – but how the bowling world responded to your brother because he has epilepsy and there was an issue that happened driving a vehicle and everybody was – very, uh, afraid of what was going on and the whole bowling world rallied around him. That's all I saw on social media that day. When you found out about that, uh, what was you? how'd you, how'd you find out and how did you feel about that?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was very, very scary. Um, it, epilepsy is something my brother's been dealing with for, uh, about 10 years now. He developed it about 10 years ago. And, uh, it it's a scary thing. You know, you, it's, it's something you don't, you don't ever want to see somebody have, have a seizure and have an episode. It's, it's, uh, it's scary. And I remember the first time that, that it happened when I saw it for the first time, me and my brother were actually on the golf course. And luckily, uh, my dad, the hole that we were on, dad was on the very next hole adjacent to it. So he was able to come over and help and, uh, scary moment. But, um,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Is he doing, he's doing okay now though, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's doing fine. Um, they, uh, when he had that, that accident, uh, was a year and a half ago or whenever it was, I think a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, he, uh, ha- had like ran out of medicine or something and he didn't take it for like one day. And oh. it just kind of, because it's such a chemical thing in your, in your brain with the epilepsy. So all the meds keep, keep everything balanced. And, um, you know, if you get out of that balance, things can go, go downhill pretty quickly.
0: Wow. Well, EJ, we want to we want to thank you for your for your time today. We went all over the board today with you, and I know you don't do these things all the time. Although recently you have. Um, one more time, could you let people know about the cause you and Brad Angelo are doing and how people can get involved with that?
2: Yeah. So uh, again, every every Monday at noon, at least for the next uh, three Mondays, we're going to be uh, Facebook Live, uh, me and Brad Angelo through the uh, Ten in the Pit Pro Shop. And uh, we're doing uh, different matches. We're pulling different patterns every week, doing different formats every every week. Um, it's fun to check out. Um, but we're also – we started a, a GoFundMe um, that will be linked LinkedIn. And uh, you can donate. And and portion of the proceeds of that, um, we're doing a competition. So it's going to be split 60-40 at the end of this. Whoever wins more matches uh, will go to – uh, the hospital in Lockport for Brad and then the hospital here in Gloufton, uh for me. So we won't know who uh, who gets the 6040 until we uh, all get done with this. But um, it'd be great if anybody could come and, and check it out, watch, have a good time, donate whatever you can, whatever you can, a $1, dollar, ten, hundred, whatever it is. Anything helps.
0: Awesome. And of course, you, uh, you're you wearing Motive and Turbo there. You've been with those companies for quite some time. And who are the people that support you?
2: Uh, so obviously, Motive I've been with since I started on tour. I signed with them in October 2012. So we're approaching 10 years that I've been with, with Motive. Turbo obviously has been really awesome. I've been with them for a little over a year and a half now. Um, and then we have uh, Boler X, uh, Dexter, uh, Genesis, and... I don't even remember. I think that's all of them.
0: <laughs> you've, been involved, you've been involved in a lot of stuff, man. And, and, uh, I think, I think the thing that I get from this entire, oh, I forgot
2: one, creating yeah. the difference.
0: That's right. Creating the Sorry, difference. Ron. <laughs> so, so the one thing that I really gathered from this, from this show and just from talking to you and, and observing and spending some time with you out on tour a little bit is that you just like to keep to yourself, you're a country boy. You like to be around away from people. You don't like to, to, to toot your horn too much and just do your thing. Go out and bowl, shut up and bowl. Right. That's pretty much you.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. I go do my thing, go bowl, but you know what? If everybody that's out watching, you know, if we have the, uh, the ability in the, in the bowling center bar after we're done, if I'm hanging out, I, I love hanging out and, and having, having a drink with some fans and just, you know, having a good time and, uh, Tell them about whatever they want want to know.
0: Awesome, EJ. Well, we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you on again in the future, but hopefully, you'll be back out on the lanes. so we don't even have to do this show anymore. How about that? I, I hope so. Say hello Thanks, to brother. Natalie for us.
2: I will. Thank you, guys. Thanks, man.
0: Thanks, EJ. So, that's EJ Tackett, Matt. Um, you know, he is one of the superstars in today's bowling world.
1: Yeah, without question. He is consistently one of the top five best bowlers in the world and in a game like bowling that's hard to accomplish because it's such a finicky sport at times there are so many different variables there are so many different things that are going on so to always consistently be at the top and to be one of you know if you look at the roster and you're like all right who has a chance to make the show EJ's always in that that discussion and it's just really impressive to see how young he is how great of a career he's had so far and to think about you know when you when you reference dick Weber, and you make the you know you you point out the interesting facts about his career, and then you look at EJ. Um, it's interesting to draw the parallels between the two of them and to see what um you know what the future possibly has in store for EJ.
0: Yeah, you know, we, we you and I talk about sports cards, and we talk about other sports a lot, right? Yeah. So right now, you know, we had a conversation about Trey Young recently in the NBA, and, yep. and Kobe Bryant as well. And Kobe Bryant, when you look and you see his career, Kobe Bryant didn't have, I think it was 800 assists until like his fifth year in the league. I'd have to look it up again. It's been a month since we've talked about this. But you look at at, at Trey Young, who's 900 assists or whatever, and if you play out Trey Young's numbers with what he's done in Atlanta for just a year, year and a half, and you play that out over a career, he's going to be one of the top five-point assist people in the history of the NBA, right? So I like to do that with bowling as well. And because Belmo gets all the attention, you know, and sure, there's other stars on tour, Bill O'Neill and Prather's emerging. And, of course, EJ and Jesper at times is just the man to beat. Buttriff can do that as well. But I think that some of these guys get overshadowed. And I I believe EJ Tackett is going to go down as one of the top 10 bowlers in PBA history when it's all said and done during my lifetime.
1: And I I would have to agree, um, based off of the pace that he's working at right now, I mean, people consider Belmo to be one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. um, And he didn't win his first title, I don't think, until he was 26 um, or somewhere in his mid-20s. So if you compare EJ to where all these other guys are at right now, and I know as an athlete, you don't really like to compare yourself to others. You like to just have your own journey and go at that pace. Um, But when you do compare stats and you compare titles and you compare wins, EJ is way ahead of a lot of these people that you constantly discuss um, in that conversation of who's the greatest of all time.
0: Yeah, and you have a, you have eleven years difference, I believe it is in their ages. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like Eleven—it's eleven titles and nine years. That's yeah, right.
1: yeah. Because Belma, I think, is thirty-six. EJ is twenty-seven. So, I mean, um, and and similar to what you're saying, though, going back to the other sports, talking about Trey Young, talking about Kobe Bryant, um, it's interesting how. There are a lot of really great players over the years um, who have great stats in other sports. Um, And at the end of the day, what it comes down to is wins. And EJ referenced that today when we were talking. It was not only just wins, but major wins. You know, what comes down to what people talk talk about when they talk about those greatest of all time conversations. Um, And, you know, when Belmo won that 11th major, Rob Stone on Fox Sports, he's the greatest, he's the greatest. And, you know, Belmo doesn't have the most amount of, titles ever. He's got the most majors ever. And I think it'll be interesting to see how EJ's career moves forward and how many wins um, at majors he can capture. And I think, like EJ said, um, it'll definitely um, help propel him forward into that conversation.
0: Yeah, I 100%. We see you, Justin. Thanks for the merch shout out there. Uh, tomorrow, we got a programming update and announcement for tomorrow, Matt. We're going to be an hour early yep. tomorrow. And I'm probably going to bail out of the show with 15 minutes to go tomorrow and you'll have to run this thing down. But tomorrow could be our most watched show that we've ever had in the history of our program, which has been 14 episodes so far. As we have not only Shannon O'Keefe, who's a huge draw, but we're going to have her husband, Brian, on if she can get him to the camera. And we're going to have Brian and Shannon O'Keefe on tomorrow. You live with them for a while. You know them very, very well. Yeah. And and there's going to be a lot of people tuning in for tomorrow's show. Any, Any little tease for tomorrow's show, Matt?
1: I'm just hoping to make it out alive. Quite frankly, um, it's you—you—you uh, <laughs> you t- you coined the phrase, calling it uh, calling it the episode where it's going to be the roast Matt episode. So I'm hoping that you know we can stick to some bowling talk and maybe um, oh, there is there is some interesting stuff about Brian. Um, I know a lot of people will be there to to watch uh, and listen to Shannon, um, but there's a lot of really cool behind the scenes things about Brian that not a lot of people will know, and I'll relate it. To you, Mike. Remember how I told you that you are the king of doing, of being great at things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. I would put you and Brian in the con- the same conversation. I would put Brian ahead of you because he's he's just really good at a lot of different things, but a lot of things that don't necessarily matter. So that's where I'm going to stop that. Um, and I guess if you want to find out what it, what it is that Brian's good at, you got to tune in tomorrow.
0: And I may or may not have a couple karaoke songs recorded on my phone that know, oh, yes. uh,
1: see, that's, that's tough. I don't know if he's going to let us pull that up, but he doesn't really have a say cause it's our show. So really
0: that's right. All right. Well, we're looking forward to tomorrow's <laughs> show for sure. That's going to do it for today. Today's Thursday. Matt and I still are going to do 40 of these things and then figure out what we're going to do with it. Sorry for having such a bad show today, everybody. I <laughs> I, I think
1: my internet was bad today. I think um, Mike had a couple of stumbling blocks there, but all in all, a great show. Thanks for joining
0: us, everybody. But hey, Kurt Thompson says I'm brilliant. Yeah, so, right, see you yeah, there, right. everybody. Yeah. yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see we everybody tomorrow. Right, right today. Hour earlier.
1: 12 p.m. Eastern. See you guys there. See you, everybody. Um,